Hey everyone, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 309. I guess that's what we'll call it. Um, I've released a couple of unnumbered episodes recently, so yeah, I tend to kind of lose track, and the numbering thing's somewhat arbitrary. Before we start, I'd like to give a shout-out. I don't know if I should use the person's full name. I have in the past, but I know that they, um, well, basically they have a Christian em- employer, and they kind of have to watch what shows up on their uh, Facebook feed and that kind of thing. So I don't know if they want to kind of be, you know, outed. Um definitely one of those people that I've come to think of as not only a listener, but a friend. Uh, I guess I can use her first name, uh, Jody, And uh, I I was touched. Uh, She gave me kind of a a holiday bonus, shall we say. (laughs) No, she um, contributed a little something extra um, to the show via uh, PayPal. Um, That was very cool. Much appreciated. Uh, Thank you, my friend. So my original plan was to release a couple of short Christmas-themed episodes, but I had an interaction on the Weekend Out Facebook page uh, last night that I wanted to discuss. So I figured, let's just try to cram it all into one episode, and maybe I'll break it up into segments for YouTube. So this whole exchange kind of centers around this controversial... A meme I posted to the Weekend Out Facebook page. Uh, you know, sometimes, I remember when I first launched this show, I kind of tried to portray myself sincerely as a kind of kinder, gentler, non-believer or atheist. And sometimes I do try to take a more friendly, a more kid-glove approach, Other times, I can be the kind of, you know, the more in-your-face atheist type, or at least, uh, you know, I I can post uh, or retweet things from the more in-your-face atheist types. And this was definitely one of those times. So I posted this meme, and I just uh, added the word brutal, exclamation mark. And so it says in big letters, thank you, Jesus. And underneath, it's kind of this uh, three-panel layout. And the first picture shows like a a youngish or middle-aged woman kind of looking up. And underneath it says, for helping me find my car keys. So thank you, Jesus, for helping me find my car keys. Then the next picture, it shows a uh, professional football player with his hands in a prayer gesture, you know, looking up, it says, for letting me throw that uh, that touchdown. So thank you, Jesus, for letting me throw that that touchdown. And then the final picture is just an emaciated, starving African kid with, like, a blank look on his face like he's staring into the abyss. And to me personally, and I knew it would be kind of controversial, you know, when I posted it, The only thing that you could arguably maybe say is in bad taste about it is including a a picture of a real starving, suffering 
child who looks like they're practically on death's door, you know, for the sake of a meme or a joke. That's the only thing, in my opinion, that could really be seen as being, you know, in, in poor taste or whatever. But the saving grace, no pun intended, of the meme is, you know, the message, which isn't lost on me. And to me, it says, or it points to what I see as this kind of narcissistic attitude where you'll have religious types saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, for helping me find my car keys, for um, helping me score that touchdown. You know, and so people thinking that there's some higher power, you know, helping them find their car keys and helping them win a sporting event when elsewhere in the world there's true horrific suffering that goes unanswered and where's god in those instances you know and i'll try not to go off on some big digression but this reminds me of something that i talk about a lot on the show how you know i'm a big uh, joseph campbell fan and even though i'm a non-believer I'm attracted to a lot of kind of quote-unquote spiritual topics and, uh, you know, I'm interested in poetry and art and uh, mythology, stuff like that. And in fact, I mean, right now I'm reading three different books. I'm rereading the Jim Morrison biography, No One Here Gets Out Alive. I'm rereading a book called The Shaman, Voyages of the Soul, Trance, Ecstasy, and Healing from Siberia to the Amazon. And I'm also reading a book on chaos magic. <laughs> so, I mean, it might not sound like uh, the typical reading list for a um, non-believer, but I think non-believers, atheists, whatever, get a bad rap in that regard. A lot of us are still really attracted to kind of spiritual topics or have a fascination with spirituality. And I think it was in that recent interview I did with uh, Seamus from the Free Thought Prophet. I'm actually going to talk about that more later, uh, specifically my interviewing style. And I, I was paraphrasing that quote about how... Uh, Inside of every skeptic is a disappointed believer. And I think in a lot of cases, certainly in my case, there's a lot of truth to that. That uh, I started out as someone who had a deep interest in spiritual topics, who wanted to believe in the supernatural and the paranormal and things like that. Um but, you know, my reason and the lack of evidence just kind of eroded my faith, not only in the Catholicism that I was brought up in, but also, you know, my, um, my, my tendency to, in general, believe in things that don't really, that there's not really uh, uh, any real good evidence for. Yeah, but getting back to Joseph Campbell. So I'm a big Joseph Campbell fan, and... One thing Joseph Campbell talks about, uh, one of the few things that maybe I take issue with, I still find it fascinating, but I wrestle with it, is this idea of hidden hands, that when you're following your bliss, as he uh, puts it, when you're kind of on the right path in life, it's as if there's these 
hidden hands from outside kind of guiding you. How literal or how, how literally you should take that or how he meant it, I'm not sure. Did he simply mean that when you're on the right path in life, uh, when you're pursuing what you want to be pursuing, when you're following your bliss, that it appears, you know, life goes easier for you and things kind of start falling into place, you know? Um, or at least there's the appearance that that's what's happening. And maybe in a sense it is, because if you're not stuck in some job you hate or whatever, and you're actually doing what you love, maybe it seems like there's, or pursuing what you love, maybe it seems like there's less resistance and you're enjoying life more, you know? Or did he really mean in some mystical sense that there's some higher power or the universe is kind of guiding you? I don't know. But as I recently discussed on another episode, um, I think human beings do really have this kind of ingrained tendency to want to believe in agency. Um, all of us have probably had those experiences, and to me, they're really great, rich, meaningful experiences that, you know, we feel like we're plugged in to something bigger than ourselves. Uh, not to get too uh, airy-fairy or hippy-dippy, but, you know, <laughs> uh, we feel kind of like we're one with the universe. Maybe you've had that kind of experience with the help of certain chemical uh, agents or whatever, you know, uh, hallucinogens or whatever. Um, and as much as I enjoy those experiences, and to be honest, I try to cultivate that feeling on a daily basis, uh, almost, you know, um, I try to, and maybe part of this is kind of a carryover from studying Eastern religion, philosophy when I was younger. Although in fairness, you can find this idea of becoming one with the Godhead of egolessness, you know, the dissolution of the ego into the absolute, the ground of all being or whatever, you can find this in, in Western mysticism too. But, uh, you know, I remember when I was young, you know, like late teens, early 20s, first started wrestling with those awful uh, migraine-type headaches and was really experiencing a lot of kind of depression and anxiety. There were ideas that I found in Buddhism and mysticism that really helped me. The idea of, you know, ideas like detachment, of trying to achieve a state of oneness, etc. Um, and so still to this day, you know, if I'm, uh, even though I'm not crazy about my job, and maybe in some ways because I'm not crazy about my job, one of the things that maybe helps to keep me sane, you know, I'll be working, swinging a hammer or whatever, and I'll just take note of the nature around me, of, you know, the, the branches and leaves stirring in the breeze, the beauty of it all. And I do try to cultivate this sense that, I'm in harmony or somehow kind of at one with the beauty around me. Yet at the same time, as a skeptic, someone who end of the day brass tacks, believes in empirical evidence, I try to stay fully cognizant of the fact that these experiences as 
rich and meaningful as they are could just be, you know, products of the meat brain, could be uh, neurochemical in nature. Do I know for certain that that's the case? No, no, I, do. I mean, technically agnostic atheist here, uh, but I love those experiences, you know. And um, one example I sometimes give is, and this has happened to me, which is why I use this as an example. Imagine you're driving down the highway and you suddenly get the feeling, maybe, you know, you hear a weird noise or the, you start to feel some turbulence that there might be something wrong with your car. And you're like, please let me just get home in one piece or whatever, you know. And when you do get home safely, you know, you're like, oh, thank you. But then there's the question, well, who the hell am I thanking or uh, who am I imploring? You know, it's like. I consider myself to be a rational human being. Um, I have a secular worldview. Uh, I strongly doubt the existence of any deities or whatever. And so I think some even in skeptics, you know, there can still be that superstitious kind of impulse uh, to want to believe in agency or that there's something out there, you know, helping you out. Uh, helping you stay in one piece. And this is where I start to have a moral issue. And, and, you know, when you really think about it, and I know I really have been digressing, but we're coming full circle here, um, is that, okay, so, I mean, what what harm is it doing? Uh, maybe, you know, I, I kind of had this feeling that something was looking out for me. Ain't I special? It's helping me get home in one piece, holding my car together or whatever, you know. But then when you really start to think about it, both morally and logically, it's like, well, what is this being or what is this higher power? And why do I deserve to get home and have it help me get home in one piece when maybe on the other side of the highway, um, you know, a mother and a, and a small kid just got wiped out in a, uh, an SUV accident or something like that. You know, um, why do I deserve to make it home and the other person doesn't or, you know, so to kind of get back to that meme, you know, maybe you're late for work and you don't know where your car keys are. And then there's that wonderful moment where, where all of a sudden you find them and you're like, oh, thank, thank God. Even if you're an atheist, maybe it just spills out of your lips, you know, thank God, uh, you know, but why would there be this higher power helping me find my car keys so I don't have to listen to my boss bitch at me or whatever when... A tsunami just wiped out a bunch of innocent people on the other side of the world, you know what I mean? And so to get back to that meme, uh, and uh, I was going to say strangely, but maybe not so strangely. They may have been looking through their feed uh, later on. Maybe a few days after it was posted or whatever, I suddenly get this notification. And I don't know if I should um, read the person's name on the show or not. And I, I, I just want to say that uh, you know, whatever, um, tension or whatever, or, or disagreement there might be between myself and this person, I certainly don't want anyone to give them a hard time or anything like that. And, uh, all things being equal, you know, it was actually a, a fairly civil 
exchange for the most part at the end, at the, uh, end of the day. Uh, so I won't name the person, but she says, I'm a non-believer, but don't subscribe to trashing Jesus. How about all those hypocritical Christians who want to end legalized abortion in the USA? That there is famine and poverty in this world is not a reason to trash Jesus. How about trashing morally vacuous judges, politicians, and atheists who support the, who support the murder of pre-born children? And then she included this really graphic image of what I guess are aborted fetuses and I'll, I'll um it looks like it could be like a death metal cover or something album cover i'll i'll assume it's a real image why not you know um <laughs> and i don't know how graphic i should get but it looks basically like a red hamburger helper with a bunch of little arms and legs mixed in <laughs> it's already you know i'm i don't know here's where my dark side kind of comes out you know i'm like if you're gonna if you're gonna shove something graphic in my face, like you're trying to guilt me or drive some point home, then my kind of uh, my more irreverent and and rebellious side is kind of tempted to come out and play. Um, and there's, there's some things I don't get. Like okay, so she says. She doesn't subscribe to trashing Jesus. How about all those hypocritical Christians who want to end legalized abortion in the USA? Is that sarcastic? Because she seems to be defending Christians. But she says, how about all those hypocritical Christians who want to end legalized abortion in the USA? But then she ends, how about trashing morally vacuous judges, politicians, and atheists who support the murder of preborn children? And so... I don't know if she thinks that I'm one of these vacuous people that's all pro-abortion, so she's going to shove this big bowl of abortion catchatory in my face or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, I know I'm totally changing tone here. I think I started off fairly respectful and uh, was somewhat thoughtful throughout this episode until now, and now I'm getting all kind of irreverent and cheeky. But... My personal take on abortion, I'm actually, I actually have a similar view to that of the late Christopher Hitchens, where I think Christopher Hitchens used to say, I believe that the concept of an unborn life is a real one. Um, and that he thought terminating an unborn life is something you should take seriously. And I agree with that. And ever since I was young, probably since my teens, it just kind of occurred to me that there's probably kind of a sliding scale. I think the longer you wait to terminate the pregnancy, the more of a moral transgression it is. You know what I mean? That there's definitely a difference between destroying a clump of cells and terminating the life of a, a viable fetus that would be capable of existing outside the womb, you know? Um, and at the same time, I believe strongly in a woman's right to choose. Uh, it's not my body. I'm not the one that has to carry this uh, thing inside me. And <laughs> Sorry if it sounds cold calling it a thing for nine months, you know what I mean? And as I've said on the show before, 
I think people take abortion more seriously than even I think a lot of pro-choice people take abortion more seriously than a lot of Christians give them credit for, especially the women having the abortions. I imagine that's got to be one of the most difficult decisions you can ever make in your life. And uh, I think having an abortion can be pretty damn hard on people. And I, I, you know, I don't think it's something that, that women take lightly. Um, so my view on abortion is kind of complicated. I'm, I'm definitely pro-choice, but I do think the decision whether or not to end an unborn life is something that should be taken very seriously. Um, and I think it's always a good thing when someone chooses not to have an abortion, you know? Um, I think, obviously, it's it's most understandable when it uh, maybe there's something horribly wrong with the fetus, some kind of horrible birth defect or medical condition where even if it does survive birth, it's probably not going to survive long outside of the womb or if there's a serious risk to the life of the mother. And also in cases of rape or incest, however common that may be, I don't know. I don't think any woman should be forced to have to carry around uh, a life put inside her by her victimizer or rapist. I think a woman should have every right to, you know, terminate a pregnancy that was brought about by rape or incest or whatever. And as I said, just in general, I'm, I'm pro-choice. But why the hell is she sending me, you know, this gruesome picture when, uh, you know, I was posting a meme that was trying to make a point about the the narcissism of thinking that there's this higher power that's helping you find your car keys or whatever. Um, and just to let her know, someone who was raised Catholic here, um, first communion, confirmation, went through the whole CCD Sunday school system or whatever. In fact, they extended it when I was in it and I had to spend a couple of years of high school in uh, CCD or whatever too. And... We actually, they showed us films of abortions and, and gruesome images of abortions. So this is nothing new to me, man. I've seen it before. Um, and the whole thing about trashing Jesus, as I'm going to say when I read my reply, I think the meme is more making fun of or satirizing the mindset of these people doing the praying or thanking than it is taking a swipe at Jesus specifically. And even if it was trash, quote unquote, trashing Jesus, it, am I going to hurt his feelings? I mean, <laughs> you know, a, as a skeptic, I have some doubts whether there was even a historical Jesus in the first place. And if there was a historical Jesus, I have seriously strong doubts about his divinity. So I'm very doubtful that, that even if he was a historical figure, that there's some ethereal supernatural Jesus out there in the heavens or in some other realm uh, who's, you know, bawling in the corner because I posted a meme or whatever uh, or whose who's precious fifis are hurt. Um, but I replied to her. I said, to me, it says more about the narcissistic mindset of the people doing the praying slash thanking than it does Jesus himself. 
And just who or what Jesus is or was is a matter of debate. Historical figure, wise teacher, messiah, a myth-slash-invented composite figure. And then I, then I did a little cute shrug emoticon. And she replies, I don't believe it makes one narcissistic to pray or be thankful. If it works for them, what's the problem? Gratitude is a beautiful thing. Exclamation mark. And so I replied, I think it's good to be grateful too. It's what's implied that's problematic. That there's a higher power. I, I accidentally typed high power. Maybe if God was high, that would explain things. That there's a higher power that helps athletes score touchdowns or soccer moms find their house keys while true suffering goes unanswered elsewhere. They're free to believe and say what they want, and others, including myself, are free to respond with criticism and satire. We obviously see things differently, and that's all right, too. I'd rather not get caught in a long, drawn-out argument. Then it looks like there's more replies. Okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm reading this for the first time, and she says, As an atheist slash cynic, you surely must realize that life is not fair. No need to be critical. I just believe there are much bigger fish to fry if you're concerned about injustice. That's all. So, and I think this is another, uh, you know, she's kind of chiding me for unfairly, you know, criticizing or, or mischaracterizing, you know, people on the other side of the argument. A lot of times people claim, uh, you know, atheists or cynics. A cynic and a skeptic aren't the same thing. A skeptic means, you know, you require evidence um, that you don't just jump in and believe in whatever feels good willy-nilly, you know? Um, that, that you try to evaluate the situation logically, weigh the possibilities, weigh the evidence, and make a rational conclusion, you know, based on facts or whatever. A cynic is someone who has kind of, you know, a negative, jaded outlook on life. And I think in a lot of ways, I'm actually a kind of positive person, or I try to be. And the older I get, the more positive I try to be just to help me make it through this veil of tears. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, I realize life isn't fair. And I try not to cry about it or be miserable about it, you know? Although, you know, I think it, it is fair for people to struggle and to feel negatively in the face of adversity or, you know, when faced with the vagaries of existence, the iniquity of it all. I'm just saying that me personally, I I'm trying to get to a place where I recognize the iniquity of existence, but still try to have a positive attitude nonetheless, just to help myself, you know, have a better quality of life and make it through this veil of tears, as I just put it. Um, and hopefully, you know, on a less selfish note too, hopefully trying to be a more positive person will make me more enjoyable to be around for others too, or whatever, you know. But yeah, the fact that life isn't fair is kind of my point, that one of the reasons why I'm an atheist, agnostic atheist, wh however you want to parse it. The reason why I doubt the existence of a higher power is that I look, in the I look at the world and I see the unfairness. I see the injustice. I see how a rich person might get richer 
well, on the other side of the world, a child starves to death or whatever, you know? Um, or, you know, how a, a criminal might live to a ripe old age and a young child might die miserably of cancer. Um, and to me, I don't see how you can reconcile that with the idea of a personal God, a personal creator God, at least one who is supposedly just and good and benevolent. And I don't, that's not saying you should have a negative outlook on life. I'm just trying to be rational and, and moral, you know, that when you look at it all, I don't see evidence for a benevolent God who's cradling everyone in these hidden hands. I see a lot of iniquity, suffering, and not just man's inhumanity to man, but natural disasters, etc., etc. Um, so this is interesting. Supposedly she's a non-believer, but she's automatically lumping me into the atheist slash cynic bin. Like that, like I said before, making that assumption that being an atheist makes you a cynic. Um, and she also has an issue with uh, trashing Jesus, who very well might be a being who never existed um, or who if did um, that doesn't mean that they have a preternatural or supernatural deified existence or whatever uh, yeah I don't know there's something kind of I don't know I, there's something kind of off with her reasoning and I don't know if this person likes the page I don't know if they do like the page and they hear this and they decide they're no longer going to like the page have at it have at it. I'm going to speak my mind and um, say what what I feel. Uh, you guys know how much I like my Facebook likes. I don't like them so much that I'm going to uh, censor my beliefs uh, um, or my opinions just to keep one like. And speaking of that, I noticed that there's a new like today, but I don't see the name that, that goes along with it. Maybe someone who used to like the show liked it again. I don't know. But I'm not gonna re I'm not gonna type another response to her. I mean, I th I thought I made my point pretty well, and I said, you know, we obviously don't agree. That's all right. I don't want to get in a long drawn out argument. But she's obviously one of these people that has to have the last word, and maybe now I am because you know I've brought this over onto the show. But um, Crocoduck on Twitter. Because I, I posted a screenshot of her first comment. S asked something about, uh, is she from Switzerland and does she revere Jonathan Livingston Seagull? And that's kind of a, a semi-inside joke between Crocoduck and I. And uh, this refers to someone on YouTube who used to give me a lot of grief, who used to follow the show on YouTube. And... Her handle had Seagull in it or something like that. And I guess she was a fan of that book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. What's the name of that author? I think it's Richard Bach. Uh, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. And you guys know me. I'm, I, I like to think I'm a pretty laid-back person, you know. Um, but this lady really knew how to get under my skin. It, it was crazy. Um and she used to kind of be kind of nasty in this weird passive-aggressive way. Used to be kind of strangely contrarian. Always took issue with something I said in every episode just about. Uh, she used to accuse me of doing the show just for money. 
which is kind of a laugh. And remember that, well, yeah, this is probably like at least two years ago or something, I think. I was making even less on Patreon than I am now. I was probably making like 15 or 20 bucks on Patreon. And that would have been less or just enough to pay my Podbean costs. So <laughs> some months I was probably actually doing the podcast at a loss. And, um, you know, we're not, I wasn't, we're, I'm not Philip DeFranco or, or PewDiePie or something. I was just some dude doing a small kind of atheist slash religion podcast. And that's still the case now. And it's a labor of love and so, it's something I do because I'm passionate about it. It's obviously something uh, I'm not doing it for the money because there ain't no money. And, let, you know, I, I'm very thankful to my Patreon supporters and uh, the generous people like Jody, who once in a while dropped me some money via PayPal. Um, but at this point, I mean, still, you know, it's just basically an, it's enough to to cover the cost of hosting the show. And uh, maybe j just a little bit something extra to help me uh, get by, you know. And uh, so the idea that I'm, I mean, if I wanted to make money online, I would open like a top 10 channel. Or I'd, I'd cover, like, pop culture crap. You know what I mean? Um, and then uh, she used to insult my intelligence. Uh, if I took issue with, um, let's say, as I often say, you know, I'm very... I don't know, because I don't want to sound like I'm being patronizing. I was going to say I have a great deal of kind of empathy or whatever for um, the Jewish people as a whole. When I look at the story of the Jewish people, the various diasporas, um, how many times, you know, they've been conquered and persecuted and shoved around all over the map. Um, and and why, even when I look at modern Judaism and I see how it's probably, it seems it's, it's one of the, probably the only Abrahamic faith that doesn't make a pain of in the ass of itself by trying to proselytize and convert everyone else. You know, <laughs> um, Jews seem pretty happy to just be themselves and have their own faith and traditions without trying to shove it down everyone else's craw. You know what I mean? Or, um, but I do. I, I have a uh, like. I think I said to to Seamus. If I have any type of positive bias towards a you know an, a religious group, it's probably uh, it's probably uh, the Jews or you know the Jewish people. Um, I think they have a very rich history. I have a genuine sympathy for everything that they've been through, um, and I think. I mean, there are Jewish extremists. There are some sects of Judaism that have practices that you could criticize, uh, to say the least. Um, you might argue the treatment of, of women in certain, you know, very austere, strict Jewish communities. Um, there's the horrible cases that were in the news before of things like moils passing on venereal diseases to infants during circumcisions because of this, you know, antiquated practice of drawing the blood out with the mouth and, uh, and whatnot. Um, but I think a, a lot of 
um, modern Jews are fairly secular. They might hold on to aspects of their faith as a matter of tradition and identity, you know, a, a way of bringing and holding the family together, etc., but are otherwise, you know, fairly, you know, rational and secular. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I don't keep the kid gloves on when it comes to analyzing and critiquing the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And uh, like a lot of atheists, you know, I've um, taken shots at some of the the stories in the Old Testament. What what I see is some of the uh, the barbarism, etc. Um, and when I would bring up stuff like that, on one or more occasions, she'd basically accuse me of being anti-Semitic. You know, for for criticizing certain aspects of the uh, of the Old Testament, and I would respond to her here and there on the show. And I think I almost ended up blowing up at one point and basically saying, you know, if you if you have a problem with me or the show, you know, you're free to continue watching the show. I just don't want to hear your crap anymore. Uh, and if if you don't like that, you can just cease watching, you know? And I remember one time, there was one time where, okay, like, I don't think that I've called a woman a derogatory name probably since I was like 19 or 20 and got in a fight with a girlfriend at the time. And it's still something I regret and that, you know, kind of hangs around my neck and I feel horrible about. I got in a fight with a girl, with my girlfriend at the time. And I think I ended up calling her a bitch or something. It was something that I automatically regretted and uh, even just saying it now, I feel like this deep feeling of shame. And I feel very kind of self-conscious even having told that story. And so I don't, I try not to call people names in general. And I definitely don't call women bitches or anything like that. And I have this weird habit of saying on the, you know, while I'm speaking, I might say, well, it's not weird at all. It's a common phrase or whatever. I would say a bit, you know, like, oh, that's a bit dark or that's a bit over the top or whatever. But I think it was an unscripted episode and I said a bit something. And the next word began with like a CH sound or something like that. And so all of a sudden I get this, uh, comment where she's accusing me of calling her a bitch and I'm like what and so I'm reading I'm like where the, where did I say that and so she kind of tries to time stamp it or something I'm listening to it back I'm like oh it does kind of sound like that and so I had to try to tell her that no uh, this is why I said a bit I had to spell it out for her I, I'm like you know I wouldn't call you that I wouldn't call any woman that um yeah but that's yeah when I was like 19 or 20 and I'm, I've always been like a pretty laid back guy, but I, I had, it was just like this heated argument I had with this girl I was going out with at the time. And we had a really kind of intense, passionate relationship. And we had an argument and I was trying to talk to her and she was like being, and, and there's no excuse for it, but she's being like difficult. And so like I blurted it out and I automatically regretted it. I think I said something like, why are you acting like a bitch or something like that? And since then, I don't think I've ever called a, a woman a bitch. And uh, I try not to call people derogatory 
uh, names or terms in general. Um, but yeah, yeah. But I don't think I'm going to get to those Christmas stories. I can't believe how long this segment has lasted. Okay, and so this regards another criticism, and I think this person uh, was considerably more civil and positive in their critique of me than the last person. So I'm actually going to put this in the category of constructive criticism, and I don't have any issue with this person. Uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to discuss this on the show. So they're responding to the YouTube version of episode 308, which I entitled Neil deGrasse Tyson Clarification and Patreon Controversy. And during this episode, I actually talked about how I haven't bothered to upload that epic conversation between Seamus and myself on the uh, YouTube channel because it's just so long and I'd feel kind of bad if I just slapped one still image, you know, like episode art and that was it on it. And at the same time, if I was going to put, uh, add different images throughout it, it would take forever. Um, but I asked, you know, I said, if, if you guys out there want me to upload this thing to YouTube, if I get enough, if there's enough interest, I'll go ahead and do it. And so this person is a ketchup dog. I, I figure it's all right to read their handle since, you know, I, I'm copacetic with, with them. I actually appreciate the feedback. Um, and they said, I listened to every episode, but I only made it through maybe 30 minutes of that interview. You need to let your guests speak more or else just do your normal show by yourself, which I love. I don't normally watch the YouTube version, though, so I could be wrong. And then I responded, yeah, to be honest, I think the desire to express myself, which drives me to do the podcast, also gets in the way of being a good interviewer. I know ideally an interviewer should just ask a question and then step back. Definitely something I struggle with. And so this criticism is nothing new. Um, you guys are probably aware, if you're long-time listeners, that uh, I, rarely, uh, I rarely do interviews on this show. Uh, back in the day, maybe when I was like a year, I don't know... I, Time just flies by. I've been doing this for like five or six years now. I don't even know how long ago it was. But I feel like it was closer to the beginning of, uh, of the life of this podcast. I think it might have been C-Web. It might have been Chris Weber, the host of uh, Paranormal Skeptic Academy. Used to be the host of C-Web Sunday School. Um, I think he sent someone my way. There was someone who was doing like a GoFundMe or, so, or a Kickstarter or something for a play about Jesus. And I think it was called Son of Man. And it was supposed to be like a, a more secular look at Jesus or, or a portrayal of a more secular uh, Jesus. But at the same time, it was also heavily influenced by... Um, Gnostic ideas and, and whatnot. And so I interviewed him, and that might have been like two or three hours long, too. And I got a lot of uh, negative feedback for kind of monopolizing the conversation. And on top of that, and I felt like I felt really bad about this, 
something was wrong with with the guest's audio. So he was like barely audible. I think it was something on his end, but uh, there wasn't much technically we could do about it. And so I went out of my way to isolate every spot during the recording where it was just him speaking. And I did my best to crank it up to, to elevate the volume as much as humanly possible in GarageBand um, and, and to try to bring my voice down to be closer to his. And there was only so much you could do with it. And the first thing I heard back from him is, you know, isn't there any way, you know, you could raise the audio? And I tried to explain. I'm like, man, there's only so much you can do with a recording. I tried to pump that up as much as possible. And so I, I don't necessarily avoid doing interviews because I'm afraid to do them or I, I'm not interested. I actually really am interested in interviewing people, but I also just have so many different topics, etc., that I want to explore on my own. You know, usually just a topic will catch my interest or you know, an assortment of news stories. I'm like, oh, I got to turn this into an episode, and that's it. Um so I usually don't go out of my way to look for guests to interview or anything like that. And it's true. There's some confusion. Like, I don't know what kind of interviewer I want to be. Um, some interviewers do have more of a conversational approach. Like, if you look like, uh, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. And um, I know that might be a, a divisive or divisive stance to take because I'm sure some people aren't crazy about Rogan or they might disapprove of some people that he associates himself with or that he has on his show. Um, I personally like Rogan and I find his show fascinating when he has a guest on that I really like. I find despite the length of the show, his shows, his episodes are usually around three hours. They just seem to fly by. And Joe Rogan, often his shows are more like conversations and then interviews he'll cut guests off he'll interject with his own personal anecdotes and yet at the same time he's still successful uh of kind of drawing interesting information out of people or getting people to open up for him uh so even though he has a conversational approach and he might uh have a uh, he might have um some strong opinions of his own or whatever um, I think he still does a good job overall as an interviewer because he, he keeps the discussion interesting and he does get people to, to open up to him. And, and I guess maybe that's the first step is I have to ask the question, am I looking to have conversations with people or am I looking to do traditional interviews? And, um, I can definitely see the merit of doing a traditional interview where almost like uh, a professional journalist or whatever, or, you know, broadcast uh, personality where you just, even if it's something you have strong opinions on, even if it's something you know a lot about, instead of making it about you, you just sit there with your clipboard or your list of questions and you ask a kind of concise question and you let your guest do the speaking and you just do, you know, do that and, um, elicit an interesting response or answer from them. Um, elicit or solicit, whatever. Uh, but, uh, you guys know what I'm saying. 
And I kind of find that attractive too. I think I would like to do just a straight kind of traditional interview at some time. And I almost feel like maybe it would almost be better for me to interview someone about a topic that I really don't know anything about and that would help me resist the temptation to chime in with everything I know. And there is that kind of egotistical thing where... um, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, maybe you're in class and uh, the teacher's talking about something you happen to be passionate about or know a lot about. And you're the pain in the ass that keeps on uh, raising your hand so you can tell everyone, so you can show off how much you know about the topic. It's kind of something like that, you know, like um, Seamus and I would be talking about the occult or Aleister Crowley or whatever. And I got to keep on chiming in with how much I know. And I understand why that can, you know, be... Um, why that might be frustrating or off-putting to people. But I was thinking about doing like these profiles of atheists and skeptics and having people on and doing like just a professional interview where I ask them questions like, even though I could talk for like an hour about this at least, you know, ask them a question like, do you believe in afterlife? And just let them go off without chiming in about, you know, with my own thoughts and feelings. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. But yeah, I definitely don't re- resent Ketchup Dog for <laughs> for um, offering that critique. Once again, I, I find that to be uh, positive uh, or constructive criticism. But yeah, I always have something to say. And, and I have this deep-seated kind of desire to express myself. And uh, I think that that's in part why I even embarked on, you know, this adventure started this podcast. So it's kind of it's, it's hard for me to bite my tongue and not chime in um, on a subject that I'm passionate about. But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get, once again, I get why that might be off putting to people. But I think I still might try to do those uh, Christmas, those short little Christmas episodes. Um, we'll see what happens. But now I'm going to have to try edit this and get this out there. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys, as always. Um, You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. Um, If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use PayPal. Uh, You can find the the PayPal widget, the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to the uh, Weekend Out Patreon page. Just go to uh, patreon.com slash theweekendout and help the uh, show out for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time. Oh, crap. I almost forgot. Also, ever since I temporarily had my Podbean account... Um, shut down a couple of weeks ago because they changed pet payment methods or whatever. I noticed the numbers have been slipping. So I don't know what's going on if there's some kind of interruption with the feed or whatever. So if anyone wants to be a mensch and spread the word about the podcast um, or double check to make sure that the feed's still working, that you're receiving uh, downloads via... Uh, iTunes, etc. That would be absolutely fantastic. I'd be forever grateful. All right. Now, um, okay. Now, really, until next week. Thanks.